0: giant robots smashing into other giant robots
1: this is the giant robots smashing other giant robots podcast where we explore the design development and business of great products i'm your host chad pytel
0: and i am also your host Lindsay christensen
1: and with us today is chris sullins ceo of central reach chris thanks for joining
2: us hi chad thanks for having me
1: So before we dig into all of your background and everything that you've done and talk more about that and what you're doing at Central Reach, why don't you give us an idea of what Central Reach is?
2: Sure. Central Reach is a software as a service provider of software to healthcare providers in the autism industry. So essentially therapists and clinicians that typically go out to the home and work with families and kids on the spectrum and they use our software to manage everything from their back office business processes so everything from keeping track to schedules intake you know processing payments with insurance companies uh, claims management as well as clinical data collection in the field through our mobile app and then all the charting and the analytics that go along with that
1: So I know Central Reach was founded in 2012, but you just joined last year, right? Correct, yep. So how'd you come to be involved?
2: So the founder built you know, a pretty phenomenal business and in February of last year sold to Insight Venture Partners, which was a private equity, growth equity fund, who then brought me in as CEO to kind of take over from the founder and really take the business from where it was at that point in time to kind of the next phase mm-hmm. of our growth and development.
1: So is that the first time you've ever come into the CEO role in that kind of situation?
2: No, it's actually the second. So the first time was my prior company, a company originally called Marathon Data Systems, but we rebranded it to WorkWave. And I was there for uh, just over 10 years. And I came in and took over from the founder, similar situation. That company was a a SaaS software company in the... um, Last mile logistics and, and the field service kind of software space. And it had, the founder had sold to essentially the front end of a family office, so a small private equity uh, fund. They introduced me to the founder. I came in, transitioned with the founder, and then subsequently ran that business until we sold it in November of
0: uh, 2018. So those sound like pretty different businesses. Uh, (laughs) What made you interested in joining Central Reach?
2: You know, on the face of it, you're 100% correct. I think that, you know, the businesses are in very different spaces. And, you know, when you look at it from the outside, you'd say there's a lot of elements that are quite different, you know, from one business to another. I think, you know, as I started to dig in, and, and as I looked at Central Reach as an Opportunity or option, you know, for me as I thought about what I wanted to do next, you know, there were a lot of similarities actually that I saw between the two businesses. So, in this business with autism and applied behavior analysis, ABA in particular, a lot of the work with the clients, the kiddos, is done in the home. So, there's a significant scheduling component to this business, which is in a lot of ways very similar similar to what I had done previously, but it adds another level of complexity just given the number of appointments and and the amount of recurring schedules that our clients kind of interact with. So, So there were some elements that were similar. I think the other aspect of it was just the culture, the way that we kind of built and managed WorkWave, there were a lot of similarities between what we had done there and what I feel like this business needed and what we want to do to kind of take it to the next next level. So certainly there's a lot to learn uh, in this business around the healthcare industry, HIPAA requirements, the amount of kind of uh, security and you know the way that we need to kind of handle our clients' data, et cetera, is very different in scope and scale than, uh, than what we did with Workwave, But there are a lot of similarities and a lot of kind of takeaways, you know, that I'm able to bring from my last company. So I, I was liking it to the golfer who, you know, hits her first shot and it doesn't turn out. In my case, it turned out okay, but the second shot always ends up better. And, uh, and so there's a lot of aspects to things that I've learned in the past that I can apply here to try to move a little bit faster and do things a little bit better.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Definitely on the the back office component, I could see that. It's operations, basically, which Mm -hmm. are similar between the industries. I am interested, because I'm unfamiliar sort of with this area, what sort of clinical data is being captured?
2: The process of applied behavior analysis, which is really um, what our software is kind of designed to do and what our clients uh, use to work with the kids, is really all around skill kind of acquisition and, and trying to deemphasize or reduce the behaviors in children on the spectrum that you don't want them to do. So kicking, hitting, spitting, all those kind of things, while also at the same time, accelerating, improving, cementing the behaviors that you want them to do. So being able to shake a hand, tie a shoe, brush your teeth, look someone in the eye. So that's really the crux of what our clients are doing with their clients, the kids. And our software is really designed around helping them collect all the different pieces of data to record all that, chart it so that they can see where they're making progress, where are opportunities for improvement. There's a lot of skills that build on other skills. So if you think about, uh, again, brushing your teeth, for example, you know, first step, which most people don't think about, but is something that you have to make sure that the kids can do is be able to hold a toothbrush, right? Hold it in the right way, be able to put toothpaste on the toothbrush. So there's a whole number of kind of small steps along the way, inputs that you're trying to teach so that you get the outcome uh, that you desire. And that's really what our clients. Are collecting and a lot of it historically was done on pen and paper and so what we've been doing is uh, allowing them to digitize that data collection uh, digitize the data storage and then digitize the data analysis so that you know they can help make better decisions that produce better outcomes and a faster pace with the clients that they're working with.
1: From your perspective as CEO of the company especially someone coming in what parts did you prioritize getting involved in? How does the product evolve and how involved are you in that that process?
2: You know, from my perspective, I think, you know, the first kind of area that there's a, a lot of areas to, to focus on when you come into a new business like this, obviously, learning the industry is one of those i'll never be an expert like many of our employees are certainly like our customers are but learning the craft if you will and making sure that i understand it to some level of detail i think is important just from kind of a credibility and I'll say, you know, respect perspective. The areas that I primarily focus on are the areas that I think, you know, I can add the most value to with the business, which is first and foremost, centered around people. So evaluating the people that we had, thinking about what people we needed to add, especially in the leadership team as we built that out, making sure that we were bringing people into the business that both had The background that we need, but also kind of the cultural fit that allows us to kind of drive the business in the way that that we wanted to. And then, you know, looking at all the elements of, I'll say more of the pure kind of technology kind of piece of it, which is, again, much more similar to what I had done in the past. So which systems internally do we need to implement so that we can really help kind of scale the business, bringing in the right product people, working with the experts that we have on the team to develop kind of the roadmap and to understand, you know, where the gaps in the product. Spend a lot of time with clients, both individually and then going on uh, kind of a mini roadshow. We call a product management roadshow to share our vision as well as to gather input into areas that we needed to focus on to really make the product kind of great. And then, you know, building around those systems, the people and kind of the product, I'll say the internal processes that we need to try to streamline operations. And frankly, just make sure that we can kind of scale the business, both to support the growth that we are having today, but also the growth that we anticipate Mm -hmm. going forward.
1: So it sounds like from the way that you described that you weren't the only one that was coming in new at that time, that it was a big period of transition for the company.
2: Correct. Yeah. And this is similar to kind of WorkWave, although I think we accelerated the investment in the leadership and in the team in general when I joined. But so I joined in July of last year. And, you know, quickly set about kind of hiring and filling the gaps on the leadership team. So we added a chief financial officer, we added a chief product officer, we added head of marketing, uh, we added a new head of sales, we integrated an acquisition that we had done right prior to my joining that is a lot and, of transition
1: and yeah. a lot of change
2: <laughs> and then we married that with a really strong team that we had so my head of client operations was one of the founding members of the company and is just phenomenal and so what I did in that case was really you know take a look at his role really refine kind of the role, expand it, frankly, so that it had a broader impact on the business, and then marry him with the rest of of our team. And in addition to that, then we started to fill in the team underneath. So we've hired about 70 people since I joined in July of, of last year.
0: And how big is the company?
2: So the company is right around 145. 150 people wow. today. yeah, so, so
1: about 50% of the company yeah. is new. Okay, everybody, we're going to take a quick break and tell you about today's sponsor, PricingWire. Think about all the time, effort, uncertainty, and everything else that you're investing into what you're building. Pricing Wire has helped more than 1,000 software and technology innovators like you take a proactive approach to both discover and get paid what you're truly worth.
0: From early startups to Fortune 500 enterprises, across verticals and around the globe, PricingWire delivers easy-to-understand and actionable recommendations to guide your monetization and pricing strategy. If you want to avoid unnecessary challenges or regrets and prevent missing time-sensitive revenue opportunities, PricingWire can help.
1: So just go to PricingWire.com and you can book a strategy session today. Whether you need to organize your value into offerings, quantify and message your value, select the right pricing metrics, set and change prices, or even decide if usage-based pricing is best for you, PricingWire will help you achieve your revenue goals faster and with more confidence.
0: Learn more at PricingWire.com and start making meaningful progress today.
1: So what mistakes didn't you want to make in that period of rapid
2: transition? That's a good question because there's a lot of mistakes that you can make. You know, I think there's a balancing between kind of moving fast and moving too fast and frankly really disrupting things and so there's not a lot of science between that and i think there's a little bit of feel but we wanted to put systems in place we implemented 10 systems including salesforce and pardot and over this time period as well in addition to all the all the people that we brought in so as i thought about it you know starting with people it was really making sure one, we got the right people in place, but two, we never lost sight of the people that were here before I got here and, you know, the contributions that they made, the culture that we had and the knowledge that we had. So, And again, this was similar to kind of the approach I took at WorkWave. So, you know, sometimes I've hired people like this and then quickly unhired them, uh, if you will, but That's a very uh, people tactful. who... <laughs> people who, uh, you know, the business started the day they walked in, right? You know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) everything before me, you know, is messed up and and going forward, I'm going to, we're going to fix everything. We're going to be great. And the reality is this was a great business. I was lucky enough to be able to join the business, to be able to help kind of write the next chapter, if you will, in the business. But Losing sight of the people, losing sight of the experience, losing sight of the culture and the traditions and the history in an effort to kind of just move forward, I think suboptimizes kind of the opportunity. And so going back to what don't you want to make a mistake? I want to make sure that the people that we hired all had that appreciation, that they all came in and, you know, we spent time to understand what made the company successful while we introduced new systems, new processes, new ways of doing things so that people bought into that. And the interesting thing is, as we've made these changes... And as we've really kind of shifted a lot of things around in the organization, you know, we've added those 70 folks at the same time. We've uh, driven down employee churn, if you mm-hmm. will, into the kind of 5% level, which was lower than it was when we got here. So we were able to, again, retain, get buy-in, as well as also yeah. drive a lot of change.
1: That's great. And it resonates with me So we help people improve their applications. And so we're consultants and we often come in and they're hiring us as experts. But if we come in and we immediately, like a bull in a China shop, (laughs) start Mm -hmm. breaking, like tearing everything apart, even if we're right, it's not going to go well. It's very rare that someone is actively doing things that they believe are wrong. And everything that was there before is done for a reason. And if we don't understand the reasons why, we're not really going to get the buy-in that we need and from the rest of the team. And ultimately, any initiative is going to fail because you need that in order to do that. So that that really resonates with me in terms of coming in and really um, making sure that you appreciate what was there before, even if it needs to change dramatically in order to be more successful.
2: Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I think the other thing you need to do is align the strategy and what you kind of want to do going forward with the resources and the execution capability that you have, so that 's the other area that I've seen fall down is I have a beautifully elegant strategy, but i don 't have the right team resources, <laughs> funding, whatever mm-hmm. it is to actually implement it, and at the end of the day it'll die on the vine. How
0: would you describe the central reach culture and how do you approach improving on it or nurturing or hiring for it? Like, what does all that look like?
2: You know, when I think about the culture and how we drive it forward, it, you know, there's kind of two components to it. At the highest level, and it's interesting because it's very much kind of an an ABA, kind of applied behavior analysis approach, which I didn't realize before, we talk a lot about the inputs drive the outcomes. And so hmm. so the culture really is focused on Getting the inputs right, and if we do that, then things like a good company culture, you know, client satisfaction, growth, profitability—all those things will come kind of down the line. And so, for me, when we think about the culture, you know, it starts with a, a clear mission, and our mission is really centered around providing software as well as related services. So we actually do third-party billing for clients, our small, medium-sized clients, as well as higher Board-certified behavior analysts, both in the business as well as in an area we call CR Institute, to create kind of content programming training that our clients can kind of use to actually do their jobs better All of that is is kind of centered around the goal of producing superior outcomes for the clients and the kids kind of with autism. So that kind of is the, the crux of where we start. And then the second kind of component we talk a lot about is what I call kind of the big four, but it's simple things to say hard things to do which is hiring and developing great people first developing great products quickly turning clients and employees into raving fans so if your clients and employees really enjoy doing business with you obviously that's a good thing and then continuing to kind of invest and strengthen processes systems and infrastructure so we actually from a board level organize the operations update around those four elements so that there's accountability both from that level as well as internally a focus around that. And then you layer in the values, you know, that we look for within our team. And there's a number of those, but kind of some of the core values that I think really define Central Reach are operating with compassion and humility. So, no brilliant jerks and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I do think that we have a really strong team who really has compassion for what we do, is very mission-driven and oriented to helping the kids. And as a result, that improves kind of frankly the environment that we work in this concept of doing the right thing so as we move fast there's a lot of times where we're breaking things or going back to your point earlier chad you know we're doing certain things certain ways for a certain reason but now we need to do those things differently or somebody needs to raise their hand and say it's not working anymore so that's a core kind of element which is we want to operate according to our goal and plan. But at the same time, we want to be able to kind of raise the flag to say, you know, if this is our mission, we're not achieving the mission. And let's try to think of a different way to do that. Challenging the status quo and then, you know, very collaborative and team oriented. So, I'm always amazed at the lengths that our folks will go to really help out other teams, whether it's jumping in to do QA testing before a big release or, you know, working late or overtime, you know, to make sure that we get a release out the door, we address an issue without affecting clients. So so I think all those things are, are really critical to our business, critical to our culture, and frankly, are critical to us achieving what we want to achieve.
0: I think it's really interesting what you said about how sort of applied behavior analysis applies to your culture as well. I think at companies where I have experienced a good culture, it has seemed very connected to how we approach the product or Mm -hmm. the service. Like at ThoughtBot, I think we approach culture from a sort of agile product manager Mm -hmm. perspective. So when you're looking to add people to the team, especially on like the leadership side, how do you vet for some of that culture fit?
2: I'm a big believer that culture is what you hire primarily, but it's also what you you know, discipline or, uh, as I said earlier, unhire eventually. And so as a result, I actually I did this at WorkWave, and I, I do it here. I interview everyone that comes into the company regardless of position. So if it's an entry-level biller or obviously a member of my team, that's a lot of people. Seventy um, yes. new people times,
0: <laughs> yeah. what, thirty candidates? <laughs>
2: It takes up a good chunk of uh, my time. I've gotten pretty good at it, and I do that without ever looking at a resume. So I don't look at anybody's resume before I hire them just so that I come in kind of with a clear slate, if you will, and they Mm -hmm. can kind of tell me what they've done. But in terms of what we look for, a lot of it is really around those core values. So a lot of the questions that I kind of focus on are much more, I'll say, behavioral, much more personal much less around kind of the skill. Obviously, with my team, when we're hiring, you know, someone like Karen to run marketing, I need to spend more time on the skill piece. So for my team, there's multiple kind of interviews, multiple discussions, some that go down the skill path. But then, you know, for the most part, it really is around kind of this concept of, of fit and understanding kind of how do they think, about what they've done in the past, how do they think about people, how do they think about leading people, how do they think about kind of managing when things both go well as well as when they don't, and really trying to zero in as best as we can on that. The other thing that I've had a lot of success with, and uh, I introduced it at Workwave and brought it here, is a caliper kind of analytics test. So it's a personality profile That we do for every prospective employee. And, you know, as I came in here, we had obviously a number of employees already on the team and each of them also kind of took that profile. So
1: you use those results from the existing team to influence what you're looking for for candidates?
2: Not necessarily. Okay. We did that originally. So when I first put it in with WorkWave, that's what we did, is we took our high-performing, who's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, the ones that we would love to clone. What does their profile look like? And that became kind of the starting point. But the interesting thing about the Caliper profile, and again, you know, this has come with kind of years of us doing these tests, is there's a, an analysis that's done by someone on the Caliper kind of team, an analyst, and those get two... to the position. So it starts with what's the role that we are looking for? What's the type of kind of, I'll say, behavior or the type of uh, person we're looking for in that role? And then what is their caliber? Kind of how does that line up against what we're looking for? But we use it as what I call the third leg on the stool. So the skill piece is obviously an important component. The fit piece is probably the most important component, and then the caliper kind of checks our gut, if you will. So mm-hmm. it allows us to say, hey, something didn't feel right here. <laughs> they said all the right words, but for some reason I didn't, you know, it's not like, a yes, let's definitely go for it or vice versa, you know just this person really felt like they've hit the mark. And, you know, when it came to their caliper profile, it just reinforced that all the things that we liked about them coming through the interview were things that really are kind of core to the person. So it's not a pass fail because a lot of the things that it highlights are are things that maybe are your natural tendency as a person. But a lot of people, especially more seasoned folks have learned to kind of overcome those if mm-hmm. you will or manage around them so it's not something that we would ever give somebody and say well their caliper didn't turn out right and you know we're not going to go forward
1: but, At what stage of the interview process do you you give that to people
2: So we do it predominantly after I talk to the person. So essentially the steps are we do an initial screen on our people team. Then the, you know, the hiring team, hiring manager does kind of the skill and then a fit assessment from their perspective. And then, if they make it through all that, that's when I talk to the candidate. And then, after that, we do a caliper assessment and a readout. And typically, you know, then the decision to hire or not hire kind of comes after that.
1: That seems to me like the right spot because I think, especially with the kinds of people designers and developers are, would be very resistant to mm-hmm. taking that sort of evaluation. But when they've already done two or three interviews and things are moving along and they can understand what kind of company you are and they've certainly, they've talked to the CEO, I think people will be more invested at that point and more willing to do an evaluation like that. But I know we would probably get a lot of resistance. from Lindsay, have you ever <laughs> applied to a company that had you take one of these things?
0: Uh, no, I I've heard of it though. Mm-hmm. I think that the interesting question is is the company using it to make sure you're like everyone else or to ensure that maybe they're bringing someone different, like a different Mm -hmm. kind of perspective or personality?
2: Yeah, and for us, it's definitely the latter. So you can't... tell people, you can't fail. <laughs> We've hired people that got a zero on the caliper. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it really is, it does two things, you know, for us. One, like I said, a, the gut check. But two, from a management perspective, once they join the team, I allows the manager to kind of help give the person, you know, more of what they need. So some people need and want, you know, much more kind of external direction. Some people, especially like designers and developers, you know, more kind of self-directed if you will. And so micromanaging and lording over what they do is not going to be the path to success. And so it allows our management team as well to kind of, I'll say, customize their relationship and what they do with the folks on their team. And and it's interesting when you look at you can do a caliper profile that basically aggregates the data for an entire team and what you see kind of going back to your question is it's all over the place and you know there's no like <laughs> everybody's hitting like a dartboard in the same spot it's quite different and and really that's driven by the fact that we're looking for people with a certain fit which isn't necessarily defined by whether you like external direction or don't like external direction. It's really around, you know, do you have compassion and humility? Are you driven by our mission? Are you going to help us strengthen the culture that we have? Or are you going to, you know, weaken the culture? And that's really the other things we can teach or manage around. And so that's really the core of what we focus on.
0: Continuing on sort of that people topic, with a product like you have that is in like the health tech field, Are you restricted to hiring people from within the industry that have experience maybe around compliance, specifically, I guess, on the product side, I imagine that might be a necessity for you?
2: So, no, we're not restricted. And, you know, I think that there's some value in kind of blending, I'll say, external perspective external to the healthcare industry with Mm -hmm. with internal. So going back to the scheduling, I kind of look at it from a different lens, which is this is really a scheduling business. Most healthcare businesses are not kind of looking at it from that perspective. So I do think there's some value to external perspective. So when you think about our product team, our chief product officer comes in and I was looking for a specific you know, extensive healthcare experience. So most don't have specific experience in our uh, vertical, if you will, the ABA kind of autism vertical, but a lot of the back office processes, claims management, and working with insurance companies are similar, whether you've worked in hospitals or other areas of the healthcare market. So, so that was an important kind of hire. Some of our product managers come in with, uh, we've got one that comes in with experience in the healthcare space, we have one that doesn't. But then our business analysts and product owners, if we've got somebody who does come in kind of from outside the industry, we want to pair them with people inside the industry. And then the other piece of it for us is You know, we hire folks from the industry, again, I mentioned this before, across kind of the business. So we have 24 board certified behavior analysts. So essentially, they're our customers. They're the ones that design the treatment for the kids. They're the ones that analyze kind of how the treatment is progressing, make Uh, changes to that treatment. So they don't do the back office piece, but they're on the clinical side. They're our client. And so we have a large number of them in the company. And so we can lean on them regardless of if they've got a role in customer success or customer service to help influence and give input to a lot of the product decisions and the things that, that we're doing. So each team has their and set of responsibilities, but, but it is a collaborative effort and we want to make sure that we bring in the input and the insights of our internal team. And then obviously that doesn't preclude us from all the work that we do to interview customers and, you know, make sure that their voice is, is also coming in on the product side for, for decisions that we make. So, And I think the reason we can bring in people that don't have healthcare is because we have this broader team that has expertise mm-hmm. and because a lot of product is really around process and you want to make sure that you've got a good blend of people who know how to manage the process and the discipline of product management as well as provide kind of that that insight you know, from past experience.
1: I feel like sometimes I find that a little bit of outside inexperience can be good, maybe not your whole team, because <laughs> they don't know what has been tried or or can't exactly. be done or yeah. whatever. And so they can bring a fresh perspective that's needed. Whereas people who have that deep industry experience might be, well, you know, 20 years ago, this was tried and, and it didn't work. Well, we're in a very different space now than 20 years ago, maybe, yeah. or, you know, that's just one example, but...
2: No, it's a great example. And the other aspect of it, even if they're, let's say it's not a 20 years ago it worked, but even in a more modern example, there's a risk with people who have a lot of domain experience that, They don't do the work that they need to do to understand what the customer's perspective is because they assume they already know, right? And somebody coming in from the outside, they have to ask. (laughs) They have to do the research. They have to get their voice in. And so by blending those two things, I think Mm -hmm. uh, you're able to kind of move fast with internal kind of this is good, this isn't good, but at the same time not lose sight of the fact that at the end of the day, we really need to be focusing on listening to the customers to get it right.
1: The way that we talk about that when we're starting something new is um, having beginner's mind. So, mm-hmm. and we, we sometimes have to caution people, like we're going to ask some really basic questions. Please don't get annoyed because <laughs> it's going to it's going to seem really stupid, yeah. really basic yeah. to you. <laughs> we, but that's because we really do
2: know what we're <laughs> doing, right? <laughs>
1: But it's because we don't want to make any assumptions, right? We want to go back to first. take. It's worth the 5, 10, 15 minutes of conversation to ask those fundamental questions because we might uncover something or we might might learn something. So baking that into people by not worrying too much about previous industry experience, you're baking in the ability to have beginner's mind in some portion of your team.
2: Yeah, for sure. But it needs to be kind of a holistic view as opposed to, you know, hey, yeah. let's just bring in people from the outside and they'll figure it out because yeah. uh, that doesn't work either. It's too
1: complicated of a domain to just yeah, for do sure. that. So you've accomplished a lot in the short time. You've been through big transitions. You've taken new products. You mentioned Salesforce implementation, Pardot. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah, that like, alone. Yeah, that alone.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, I, was, right? I was shaking my head. I was like,
0: oh, my God, Salesforce and right. Pardot.
1: So what is the thing that either is most aligned with why you joined or that you think is going to have the biggest impact on the company going forward, like the things that you've done so far?
2: It's really just a fascinating kind of... Space, And when we think about the dynamics of this industry, it's highly capacity constrained in that there's not enough board certified behavior analysts to work with all the kids that are on the spectrum today, let alone the kids that are being diagnosed. So an interesting kind of data point that I found kind of after I joined. So there's 30,000 BCBAs to address the needs of 15 million kids on the spectrum in the U.S. alone. The industry is growing. The number of diagnoses are growing at double digits, and they're growing faster than we can mint new BCBAs. And so the actual unaddressed market, the unserved market is growing in mid-single digits every year. So the problem's getting worse. So when we think about what we can do to try to alleviate that, you know, one is obviously get more BCPAs. And, and I think, you know, that process is, is underway. We have in our CR Institute business, uh, university and supervision program to help try to improve the quality as well as help facilitate some of that. But then the second piece is really technology and things like scheduling where, again, wasn't on the roadmap. You know, when I join, but as I talk to clients, it just became a table pounding like <laughs> we need this how fast can you get it kind of thing because that is one of the big pain points and it's a way to create you know more efficiency more scale mm-hmm. more ability to work with more kids frankly so technology won't solve it alone but i think as we think about the product really where we're focusing our time and attention is where can we streamline and again i think a lot of times people say that, but, you know, where can we streamline processes? Where can we create capacity for our clients? And it's, you know, less of an exercise to do just because that's what software does, but it's more of like, we can have a meaningful impact. We can help our clients have a meaningful impact by really doing a good job of that. So for me, you know, moving forward in these areas, scheduling, just being one of those and really trying to streamline what we do with the product, make it more intuitive, make it easier to use because there's a lot of turnover, a lot of training. All those things will allow our clients to spend more time with kids, which allow kind of producing the superior outcome. So I think that's one big piece of it. The second is the business is growing quickly. So we've grown for the last three years about 900%. And you know we're growing 50% today. So all these systems, as painful as it is for Salesforce and Pardot and Jira and, you know, all the things that we're putting in place, without those systems, we're never going to be able to scale our business, and as a result will outgrow our growth, if you will. So layering in kind of the right process and making sure that we get these systems implemented are kind of what I call the under-the-water line things that our clients maybe don't see. But if we don't do those right, we're not going to be able to scale and we're not going to be able to support the growth. And at the end of the day, we're not going to be able to do achieve the mission that we've got with the company. So so that's kind of two of the big things. Right. Obviously, the people piece of it is a constant, right? So just making sure that we don't lose sight of getting the right people on and that we take our time. So i had many conversations around not just putting a butt in the seat, uh, even as painful as it is that we don't have somebody in that role, to make sure that we get the right person in that role because it does much more damage than good to kind of rush that hiring process and end up with a fit that's not good for that person as well as the company. So it's a two-way street in a lot of ways.
1: All of that, you know, we've talked a lot about growth and hiring and team and rolling out integrations and new systems and all that stuff. And you have a North Star, which is helping more kids. Mm -hmm. And it's awesome when we talk to a company that has that and reminds us what it can be all about and why we do what we do every day. So Chris, thanks for coming and sharing with us.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I really enjoyed it.
1: And congratulations on the growth and everything you've done in the short time. And I wish you all the best.
0: Yeah, thanks, Chris. It was great getting to chat with you and learn more about Central Reach. Good luck to you. Thank you. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at Lindsay3D.
1: And me on Twitter at (laughs) CPytel.
0: This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. And thanks again to PricingWire for sponsoring this episode of Giant Robots. Thanks for listening and see you next time.
2: This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot.
1: We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.